Well, we're out of time. I even got the right closing hymn sorted out tonight, so we know what we're doing here. This is great. Nice to be with you. We're missing a lot of folks, but I always say when you're preaching, you speak to those that were there, and you don't worry about those that aren't. So we're sure glad to see you, and it is an important topic. I'm going to do three long chapters. I guess that's what they said. Get him on earlier. We'll be all night. <laughs> We're going to look at 10, 11, and 12, the end of Daniel, uh, because I want to talk to you not just about trusting God now, but anticipating his plans, because our God has plans for the future that are certain. I mean, I don't know... Uh, whether you think much about what the future holds, I talk to people about what the future holds, and they say, I don't know what the world's coming to. And I say, well, I do. And they go, you got a crystal ball or something? Well, yes, the answer is, in one sense, I got a handle on it because of the Word of God. Uh, because you never know what's going to happen. Who would have thought you talked about King Jong-un or whatever? i got to get it right. I mean, uh, only in January there were people on holiday relaxing in Hawaii and the emergency alert went out, ballistic missiles right inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill. That was what they woke up to on Sunday, on Saturday morning, Jan 13th. One guy got in such a panic, he tried to put his daughter into a sewer manhole to protect her. What are you going to do? You're in the street, you're on vacation, and a ballistic missile's coming over. And it caused, it took him a long time to say this is a false alarm, uh, and it caused panic. But, hey, only uh, a week or so ago, right in your community in Parkland, uh, let's be in prayer for these folk in Broward County, um, brother, one of the elders at Hollywood was worried that day about his daughter who visits those schools. He's in the Broward County school system. And they, of course, have begun a terrible journey of grief. Uh, and of course, Scripture does tell us whether you're on vacation or just going to school, who knows what's going to happen. But it does tell us that the enemy is always active, stealing and destroying. And what I've come to do tonight is to Remind you, the enemy doesn't get the last word. And I'm going to tell you what the future holds from the Word of God because these chapters remind us what I said this morning, God has plans and God is in control. There are most amazing prophecies and uh, it's a real privilege to, to even begin to talk about them. Do come in, we're into amazing prophecies, folks, so we're glad to get, just in time to really get it. You see, because this fascinating glimpse into the future in these last three chapters is a, is a really reassuring prophetic vision of the victorious outcome of this age-old conflict that's been going on since the fall between God and the powers of evil. Conflict between Satan and his minions uh, and it's going to resolve, but we're very clear in scriptures, not before huge troubles. So my aim tonight is very clear. I want you to get the big picture. Be very careful in prophecy, not to get so bogged down in, in maybe debating details that we're not too sure about, and miss the big picture. 
What you need to recognize as you look through these chapters is this is real prophecy of the actual course of world events. Uh, but what I want to do, because we're not historians and so forth, I want to summarize the main thing. And let me tell you, a friend of mine, Alistair Begg, always says this, and he's absolutely right. The main thing is the plain thing. Two rules I have, by the way, as I study the Bible. One is never let a scripture you can't understand interfere with one you can understand. Very important. The other thing is, remember, the main thing is the plain thing. People debate all kinds of details, but we're going to see the big picture and the main thing. Now, as always, when you get to the Bible, the context is important. can't go into everything. We're at the end of the book, and you, you should have been here for the last 12 weeks studying the whole thing. But I'll just tell you now, I'll remind you, if you know, the context is the Jewish people been in exile in Babylon, and they're still in exile, but time has moved on, Nebuchadnezzar's gone. By this time, Persia is ruling in Babylon. And we know from verse 1 that Daniel's fourth vision, he'd had other visions, of course, in chapter 2 he had a vision. This is the last and big one. The fourth vision took place, it says, during the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. You say, oh, I don't know, I don't care about that, but it is important because... For one thing, we can figure out now that Daniel is now in his late 80s. I'm beginning to understand Daniel better. <laughs> I mean, he's likely retired from public service. Not that he was hanging around playing golf. You're going to see that he was still a very influential, active person. But Nebuchadnezzar's gone. King Cyrus is reigning. And he said, hey, some of you Jews <clears throat> can go back to Palestine. So some of the Jews were getting back to Jerusalem, uh, but the minority that took up this offer from Cyrus, they found the situation really bad in Jerusalem. Now I'm telling you that because that helps you understand verse 2 of chapter 10. Because of this we learn that Daniel began three weeks of mourning over the sin of God's people. And, and he goes back to what he did at the beginning. He starts eating plain food, uh, Drinking only water, interestingly enough, he said he put no oil on his face. You know, it was, it was only when I got remarried to Jane that she talked to me about men having dry skin. And I, I want to tell you tonight, from Scripture, you guys can use moisturizer, it's okay. Uh, I, I started using moisturizer, and Daniel did, but uh, stopped when he was fasting. A little tip if you're into fasting. But listen, let's be serious about this. This was a very important time for Daniel, and he got into prayer, and, and, and I want to talk about that, particularly during this visit. But let's tell you what we're going to do first. This is the outline. We're going to talk about each chapter under a, a clear heading so you can remember it. Chapter 10 is the awesome angelic appearance, this fourth vision. Chapter 11 is the detail, the astounding preview of the future, and of course, chapter 12 is that assured victorious outcome. God always comes through as we go through these chapters. So that's the structure that we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to start with this awesome angelic appearance. You know, it's very interesting. When you get to this chapter 10, in verse 4, Daniel gives a date and tells us, exactly where he was when he saw a very unusual figure standing before him. 
He said, I was by the river, and this was the date, and so forth. And, and of course, in, the, in verses 4 through 6, what Daniel saw was so astonishing that the place and time were, were just etched on his mind. It was, it was one of those unforgettable, life-changing revelations. A figure he saw, shining like a jewel, awesome, glorious. I mean, this was no normal person. And, and really, when I read that, I thought, you know, that's, that's an example of something that I've experienced, not the vision like that, but, but this, this feeling that you can remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when something big happens. Probably you've encountered that. Some unexpected, life-changing, astonishing events, and you never forget where you were and what you were doing when it happened. Let me give you some examples. I can tell you exactly what I was doing uh, in the evening, because I was in England and it was a uh, different time scale, but on November 22nd, 1963, I was standing in my dining room of my house in London, England, just about to go to the university library, get some research done, I was just talking to Vivian, there was a black and white TV on there. This was just a few minutes before Kennedy was shot. I remember exactly, that was a staggering event, I remember exactly where I was. I can tell you where I was. Uh, it's Sunday afternoon, July the 20th, now I live in Canada, I'm in the, we have basements, I'm sitting in my basement with a friend, and, uh, and we're chatting, I can tell you what we were talking about when Buzz Aldrin puts his first step on the moon. Big event. I can tell you, this was my birthday, August 31st. Don't forget that, by the way. 1990, I was not born in 1997, <laughs> but I can tell you what I was doing. I was lying in bed. It was late in the night. Uh, this is the last picture of Princess Di. She left that hotel we, uh, before that tragedy. In, uh, I haven't got a picture of the accident, but the tragedy in the Paris tunnel. It was my birthday. I can remember what I was talking about when we saw the news of that. And you'll remember this. Where were you September 11th in the morning? Quarter to nine. I was in my study preparing a sermon. Someone bumps, turned on your TV. And I saw that incredible, tragic event that we suffered. Knew where I was, what I was doing. That, that, that's, this is such a big event. That's the case. And because of the description... That Daniel gives of this unprecedented vision is so much like the vision that John had of Christ in Revelation 1. Interesting little study you can do to compare the two that many people, oh, oh, this is the appearance of the Lord Jesus. And yet, you know, when I read it, I read about the three-week delay, the help that he needed from the archangel Michael, a lot of interesting detail here, I concluded, you know, I think this messenger is more likely a special, unnamed angel, a messenger from God, maybe Gabriel. I mean, but you see, you could go on a bunny trail discussing the identity of the figure, but I, I want to say what's the main thing. What we know for sure, some people get off onto speculation. What we do know for sure is, look, this awesome heavenly messenger was sent from God it reflected the glory of God, and it brought an important prophetic message to Daniel. And I want to move quickly to that, you see, because it was an astounding thing. In fact, that, that he was so awesome that Daniel's friends fled in terror. They're gone. 
It was an astounding, and Daniel was literally floored. He became pale and he came weak, and in the end, he, he just fell into a trance-like sleep. And I was reading about that, and I said, Daniel, this is a time for maximum wakefulness. This is a time for attention. And I was thinking, you know, uh, I had a few favorite action movies I wanted to share with Jane. We, 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 we thought, I thought, I must show these. And we get to the most exciting moment in my favorite movie, and I look over, and Jane's dozing off, and I go, wake up! You're going to miss the good bit! So you want to give her a nudge. Well, Daniel got a nudge. He was missing the best bit. It was a gentle and encouraging nudge. Look at verse 11. He's in this trance condition. They said, Oh, Daniel, greatly loved, stand and understand I have been sent to you. Isn't that fantastic? Daniel, greatly loved, stand and understand I have been sent to you. You know, when I read that, you know, it's John 3, 16. We're greatly loved. Jesus was sent to us. Imagine... For every one of you, God says, you're greatly loved. Jesus said, I've been sent to you. I heard John 3, 16 again at Billy Graham's funeral. I thought, he always quoted that. i got to start doing it. So here we are. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall perish, but have everlasting life. So we're greatly loved. Just a little um, application as we get through that. You know what's encouraging in verses uh, that follow that 12 and 13? This angel, listen to this, because I'm going to talk about prayer on Wednesday. This angel appears because of Daniel's prayers. What he hears is this, from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. Now, that's a separate message on prayer. I won't give you the free sermon tonight, but listen. He set his heart and he humbled himself. You know, sometimes we think, the Lord's going to hear my prayer. Everything's going. There, are, there are conditions about prayer. I want to talk about it Wednesday, but he set his heart and humbled himself and his words were heard. Look, folks, Daniel's prayer, remember he's an old man now, it remains an important component in all that happened. And I want to tell you tonight, prayers and ministry, you can always do. The people that are really past it can't make it tonight, but some of you are getting on a little bit, young compared with some of us old-timers, but you can do it at any age and any state of health, and that's why I want you to be out on Wednesday, because I think prayer is so vital to what's going on. It's tragic. You know, I, I talked to an older person recently and said, oh man, you know, the day is right. I got time to kill. Imagine a Christian saying they had time to kill. Because when you're confined or restricted by age, what you have is lots of time to pray. You don't have time to kill. None of us have time to kill. We have time to redeem. That's what the Bible's all about, redeeming time. And if you want to redeem time and you're weak and infirm and, and you're, you're sidelined, you can pray. Now, why prayer is important is Daniel 10 is a very unique glimpse into the 
inner workings of the heavenly realms. This is such a special passage. This chapter is about what's happening in the supernatural realm. It's about battles against the minions of Satan, those that are responsible for the Persian kingdom. And what's important to understand is we live in uncertain and troubled days. I could tell you many things. It's, who knows what the future holds in the short term? So we have to recognize that what's going on is not just what we see, but heavenly conflicts going on in the unseen realm. There are hidden battles behind the earthly conflicts that we hear about in the news. You know, I have to still hang around with scientists a bit, as you know, I was a professor of chemistry for many years, and they were my, you know, uh, physicists and chemists were my daily lunch partners, uh, and I go over and... These days, some of these physicists are saying, you know, they say there are hidden, unseen, multi-universes out there teeming with life. I said, what's the evidence? Well, they're very weak on the evidence, but they expect us to take them seriously when they talk about unseen multi-universes out there. And yet when I talk about the hidden spiritual world, invisible world, they they mock. (laughs) What on earth? would make you think that? And when I talk about what, what the future holds, well, they, they say, well, we know what the end is. It's darkness, death, it's catastrophe. The latest theory said one of them to me is a big crunch. Another said, well, it's a big rip, really. And the other guy said, well, no, it's a big freeze. But none of them were very optimistic. i got to tell you, you know, we can take very seriously there's an unseen world and there's a battle going on and you know when it started I want to get rid of that the big battle between evil and God continues no I don't even want that let's have a blank slide because I want to tell you when it started it started in Genesis 3 and it's continued as a heavenly battle and, and it's reflected in many of the unsettling events we see in earthly history see the ongoing battle against God's plans occurs in the unseen realm as well as on earth. And Daniel 10 reminds us that actually we need heaven's solutions. This is a supernatural conflict. It's nothing that the United Nations can do anything about, whatever sanctions they pass. But the history in these chapters is real history. I don't want to make a history lesson, and maybe you're not interested in history, but you see, the Prince of Greece did come. Forty years later, Alexander the Great defeated that Persian kingdom and the details of fulfilled prophecy are so astounding when you read these chapters that liberal scholars who undermine the truth of the Bible, they say, well, Daniel must have written his account after the events took place. And of course, there's no real evidence for that, but it's very hard for them to realize that this is real prophecy. Now, we do know from New Testament accounts, and this is what I want to get to, that there's big conflict between evil and God. Yes, the battles continue, but remember the war was won. The war was won when Christ took the penalty for our sin on the cross. Colossians 2.15, very clear. About the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. 
I can't tell you about the troubles the world may face tomorrow, locally or globally, but I do know. Looking back to the cross and then reading God's plans in Daniel, that we can look forward to a victorious future outcome. And that's my message for tonight. That's what we've got to grasp. The battles still rage, but the victory is assured. And these chapters tell us that God's plans will ultimately be fully accomplished and they reassure us about the final outcome. And I want you to get that. I want you to be solid on that. You know what it reminded me about? I've been reminiscing today about my childhood in England in Guy Fawkes Day, but I was, I was a kid in the Second World War. We used to hang around, you know, we didn't take seriously death as kids. We looked at the bombed houses and so forth, and it just reminded me of one of the heroes in Britain, Sir Winston Churchill. What he did throughout that war was kept our focus on the outcome. Wherever he went, he talked about V for victory, even when things were going bad. And it was just a reminder, yes, the battle's still raging, but it's the end that matters. And I want to tell you that when Jesus died on that cross for your sins and mine, at the decisive moments of victory, he said, it's finished. He said, tell us, guy, it's finished. So you think, that's great. We won the victory. So you can relax, right? No. I'm not telling you you can relax. I want to tell you, meanwhile, you've got to be alert personally. Let me tell you, here's a quote from Jim Packer of Regent College, a friend of mine, a great theologian. He said, like it or not, each of us is personally at war with the devil, for the devil has personally declared war on each of us. Take this seriously. I've been experiencing spiritual warfare in recent days. It happens. Scripture's clear. Ephesians 6.12, it says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, a regular war with guns, no, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Folks, Satan can't destroy the gospel. But it is all he can to attack those who believe in it. And if you are a Christian who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, be wary. He tempts, he divides, he accuses, he schemes, he deceives, he lies, he stirs up gossip, he provokes distrust, he feeds bitterness. But don't fear. Of course, I'm not trying to induce fear, I'm trying to induce confidence, but we've got to face the reality. So that's the thing we have to pray. That's our weapon. You will be, and I get this quote very recently, I think it's wonderful. Given all I've said about unseen battles, I would say you will be praying more if you knew all that happens when you do. You'll be praying more if you knew all that happens when you do. So what's the key lesson? Chapter 10, let me summarize. Behind the scenes, there are major heavenly conflicts going on. The battles continue. Spiritual warfare is a serious reality, but prayer pays a vital role in the way these battles unfold in the events taking place on earth. That's chapter 10. Just get that. But the big one is chapter 11. Man, the astounding preview of the future. Now, this is a tough chapter to figure out because you really need a detailed knowledge of secular history for this period 
to appreciate that it actually is fulfilled prophecy of real events. And I had to check historians and read books and struggle with this because I'm a, a scientist, not a historian. But you see, what, what it turned out to be is that in the first 35 verses, there are prophecies about near events, near to Daniel's lifetime, events in Persia and Greece and Syria and Egypt. But then from verse 36, going right into chapter 12, there are prophecies about distant future events. So that, that was a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Now if you think, oh man, he's going to go into details tonight. It's, why didn't I stay home? This is going to be, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I do want to get the message. This is fulfilled prophecy. Let me tell you this. Look, if you get an important message on your e email, you don't need to know what's inside your laptop to get the message. You don't take the back of them. i got to figure out all these solid-state devices. And it's a bit like that with this history. You don't need to know all this history to get the message that I'm giving you tonight about God's victorious outcome. That's the important message, so don't panic about it. i got to tell you, one historian I read it showed that these first 35 verses there are 135 prophetic statements about wars in the past that have been fulfilled. And all this reinforces our belief in the supernatural origin and accuracy of the Bible. Uh, I mean, he traced the rise of Alexander the Great uh, and the division of the Greek Empire into four generals. It's interesting stuff if you're into history. But it just convinced me of one thing, and this is what you need to grasp. People say to me, oh, there's so much truth in the Bible. Listen, the scriptures don't just contain truth, they are true. And our foundation is the infallible, inspired, inerrant scripture. And, and this helps convince us of that. I mean, chapter 11 is an amazing account of constant conflicts, ugly wars, alliances, hostility against the people of God. And they all culminate in verse 31... Look at this. They culminate with the removal of the sacrifices and the placing on the altar of the temple what's called the abomination that causes desolation. You say, man, it's going to go into abominations that cause desolation. But you see, the Lord talked about this. As is often a case in Scripture, there is a jewel near far fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies. There's little disagreement about the, the near fulfillment the, of Daniel's prophecy. It's the reign of this king Antiochus. Antiochus IV, as he was. He was a Syrian king, ruled in the 2nd century BC, ruled for 10 years. And uh, as you read chapter 11, it describes the rule of Antiochus. He gained the throne through intrigue, verse 21, made numerous excursions into Egypt, 24 through 27, desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. All that detail. You know, this guy assumed the title, God Manifest. He, he, he said, I'm Theos Epaphanus, God Manifest. So that will give you some idea of his tyrannical pride. These kings were so proud like Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and he was, a, he was described as a despicable person. You know what? He burnt the Torah. He sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem. He said, no, this is the temple of Zeus. All that second century, long past. 
But Daniel 11 describes it perfectly. It says in verse 31, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress, take away the regular burnt offering, and they'll set up. Here it is, the abomination that makes desolate. Absolutely clearly spelled out. You see, Antiochus, this king, is only a prototype of the time of the end when a king arises who will magnify himself, as verse 36 says. So it becomes clear what's going on here. The near and far interpretation of this abomination of desolation prophecy of Daniel is very important, and it was made clear by Jesus. Matthew 24, Mark 13, the Lord talked about it. In these chapters in the New Testament, Jesus describes the coming destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that happened in AD 70, predicted it. And then he went on to describe at length what will happen just before his return to reign on the earth. So you can't say like this cartoon, well, I can relax, it all happened in AD 70. That's all fulfilled. No, you check scripture, you check history. What Jesus said is, there's big trouble ahead. Warning of trouble ahead. That's what we call the tribulation. I call it big trouble. You see, the Lord Jesus went into vivid detail of the signs and events that would comprise what's often called in Scripture the tribulation, the great tribulation. It's a period of time in which God pours out his wrath on the unbelieving world and upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. And the defining moment in that tribulation period is predicted by Jesus. Matthew 27, Matthew 24 rather, he describes in verse 21 an incident that immediately brings about a terrible series of events. And Jesus said, look, once, here it is again, once this abomination of desolation occurs, he says, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be. This refers to a lot more than the destruction of the temple in AD 70. It highlights an event in the far distant future from when Christ spoke. And if you just let Scripture interpret Scripture, you'll find that the meaning of this abomination of desolation will be the Antichrist. And it takes place in God's rebuilt temple in Jerusalem because he says to the world that he's God and he needs to be worshipped as God. You see, you've got to be absolutely clear there's no suggestion at all in Scripture that things will get better and better as time moves forward. And Jesus said, and Daniel prophesied, the worst tribulation to come to mankind is yet future. And the New Testament backs up the prophecy in Daniel about this future time, and Jesus warned us. He said, it'd be dreadful. You know what he said in Mark 13? He said, here it is again. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it doesn't belong in the temple, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. How dreadful it will be. And the ever thoughtful, the Lord Jesus Thinking of the detail and struggle, he says, how dreadful in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Even later, Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 said, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, 
another word, a man of lawlessness, is revealed. The man doomed for destruction. Paul talked about it. He said he will oppose, he'll exalt himself over everything that's called God or his worship, so he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Daniel 11, the Antichrist revealed. Daniel said he won't regard any God. He'll exalt himself above them all. The picture in Daniel 11 of the final struggle makes it clear that there will be days of tribulation and distress unequaled in history. That the, the, the prototype of Antiochus will be fulfilled. Now, I'm not going into this tonight, but fortunately, it seems from 1 Thessalonians 4 that the church will be raptured before then, but that's not in this chapter, story for another day. I just want to give you the big picture tonight. And you think about history and all that I talked about, and you say, what's God's perspective on all these wars, this history in chapter 11? just want to remind you, Daniel 2. We didn't do Daniel 2, we only did Daniel 3, but Daniel 2 in verse 21 said, look, it's the Lord that deposes kings, and rises up others. In other words, who's in charge? Remember, the great and powerful nations, Russia, Canada, United States, the Lord says about them in, in Isaiah 40, the nations, they're like a drop in the bucket. <laughs> they're like dust on the scales. So we've got to put this thing in perspective. Uh, chapter 11 illustrates how much human politics is, well, it's capricious. It, it just reminds us that human kingdom building is at best temporary. It's a kingdom of God that matters. The reality is that all human kingdoms come and go. And you see that in history, and the Bible teaches that. I mean, I think about it. Look, when I was a boy in Britain, we used to look at maps of the British Empire, all that pink and red. Man, that was the British Empire. We'd say, rule Britannia! Britannia rules the waves! And I was thinking the other day when, they, when, when Britain pulled out of Europe and the Brexit stuff was going on, I'm thinking, they're having trouble hanging out to Scotland. <laughs> I'm thinking how things change. Um, and in the end, and let me get serious, in the end, this is it. If reasons 1.11, in the end, it's all, folks, it's all according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It's according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. And God's will, let me tell you about God's will, it's not suffering and trouble-free. Remember the Lord Jesus, he faced the cross and he prayed as he always did, Lord, your Father, your will be done. God's will was for Christ to suffer to end evil while preserving us for good. Don't ever think God's will is suffering free. So let's just wrap up chapter 11 as quickly as, as I can. Look, there's always a key phrase in this chapter and the important key phrase in chapter 11 is it's just for a little while. It might seem a grim story, but 
Verse 24, it's only for a time. Verse 25, he shall not stand. The Antichrist shall not stand. Verse 27, the end will still be at the appointed time. Verse 33, evil is for a time only. Verse 35, until the appointed time. You see, in view of these prophecies of tribulation and distress with the people of God, it's important and it's encouraging for believers to grasp this. This is only for a time. And the main lesson, and I always want to get the main lesson as we get to the end of each chapter, is evil will not have the last word. God will triumph. And at the appointed time, everyone will see the Lord ruling as king in a reign that will last forever. Uh, that's absolutely intrinsic to Scripture. You see, the unfolding of history is his story. History. His story. And there's coming a day when God will reign over all the earth. Evil will not have the last word. And it's so exciting. I, I've been waiting for this last ten minutes. Because, and I'm glad you gave me a lot of time, because I did want to get to this. You know, what we have in chapter 12, the last chapter of Daniel, is an assured, victorious outcome. And it's wonderful stuff. People trudge through life. I love to think about... I, I love peanuts, as you know. There's Charlie Brown trudging in the direction of hope. What we have is hope. I talk to atheists on campus, not so much these days. I, I should get back to it. Because I like to say, what's your hope? They never seem to have hope. We have hope in a biblical sense, and the uh, that certainty. The conclusion of the vision is a wonderful revelation in chapter 12. There will not only be an end to all the struggles and war and instability that's continued through the centuries, but as you look at the, the, the verses, there'll be more than an end. There'll be a new beginning. I just want to give the key verses quickly because of time... The struggle against evil will end, look, verse 4, verse 9, verse 13, verse 4, until the time of the end. Verse 9 and 13, same story, until the time of the end. You know, the question asked by the angel in verse 6 of chapter 12 to the man in linen, very likely the pre-incarnate Christ, he's certainly a messenger from God, was this question, and it's been asked for centuries, how long before the end? Now, I know some of you are asking about my message. <laughs> it's ten minutes max. How long before the end? It's a question that's always intrigued us. Let me tell you, one of my heroes in science is Sir Isaac Newton. It's 1688. This is what he looked like in age 46. Remind me, I don't need to rush to get a haircut, but he was an astounding man. Formulated the laws of gravity and motion. You, you had him in physics at high school, but... Let me tell you this. People don't realize he spent years studying the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation in an attempt to find out when Christ would come again. Wrote a big treatise on it. Uh, they read his science papers, forget his observations on the prophecies of Daniel and the apocalypse of John. It turned out when I looked at this, he set the date for 2060. That's Sir Isaac Newton's prediction. It's a date I crossed off my calendar because I said, well, Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour. Now, my dad, he was big on prophecy, uh, always thought the Lord would come in his lifetime. And I was able to say at his funeral, 
The only thing I proved my dad wrong on is the Lord didn't come in his lifetime. And what I said to him, Dad, nobody knows the day or the hour. He used to say, hey, he doesn't say nobody knows the year. <laughs> but I'm not counting on 2060. But listen, I just want to say this. Um, Daniel's just like you and I. Look at verse 9. He heard but didn't understand. And look at what it said in verse 9. He is told the book should be sealed until the time of the end. In other words, we don't know the date, but these prophecies would not be understood until long after Daniel's day. But listen to this. Very significant. In the book of Revelation, which in many ways is the key to understanding Daniel, the apostle John is told in the last chapter of the Bible, verse 10, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Don't worry about the date. The time is near. That's what Scripture said. And I know the great tribulation is a dreadful prospect. But the last word given to Daniel in the vision of the end, it's about personal resurrection. This great man, been through so much, now an old man. And, and, and here it is, a promise of personal resurrection in the Old Testament. You know, chapter 12 opens with the phrase, at that time. That is at the time when the Antichrist has ascended and the Archangel Michael has stood up and he's exerted himself on behalf of God's people. Uh, and it says at that time, verse 1, chapter 12, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And this is the book of life. This is the book referred to in Revelation 21, 27, the Lamb's book of life in which are recorded the names of all those who've chosen to be on the Lord's side. And it says there, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to be sure about that, folks. I said this morning, Billy Graham's funeral reminded me we don't preach the gospel enough. You know, the most important place to have your name recorded is in this book. I'm old enough, I got my name all over the place, you know. A few years ago, I took my young grandson into McMaster University because I had my name on the wall. I got an award, and I wanted to brag, you know, Granddad. <laughs> I took him in, and I said, Hey, Ethan, you're going to see Granddad's name on the wall. So we go in there, and I look up. I said, It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> they put all the young guys up. <laughs> I said, Oh, my name's not on the wall, Ethan. <laughs> well, I didn't really care. I gotta tell you, my name in that book will never be gone. Eternal security, it's so, so wonderful. But I've gotta, I put this in since Billy Graham's funeral, a red slide. That reminds me, A, a warning, and B, the red is the shed blood of Christ. And I gotta say this, you never know. Remember this morning's warning, this morning's urgent call. The only way to be recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life now is to be spiritually reborn by repenting of your sin and turning your life over to Christ and asking him in a sincere prayer to save you. That's the only way. And if you're, if you're not sure of that, man, forget my sermon, deal with it. You accept Jesus. That's how you get into the Book of Life. And it's urgent. And it's desperately urgent if you're not sure to be absolutely sure about it.
You see, the reality of resurrection is a certain hope for all those whose names are in the book. It's a truth that's taught, of course, in the New Testament, founded on the resurrection of Jesus, but it's found in the Old Testament. Here, in the Old Testament, verse 3 talks about those who've witnessed and won souls as those who will shine like stars forever and ever. And it's absolutely clear when we read this chapter that there'll be a final fixing of the world's problems. God will intervene. He'll bring judgment and justice and he'll finally and fully accomplish his purpose. Absolutely clear. I want you, if you're a Christian, to embrace with joy and confidence the fact that that Daniel, now an old man, is assured of the reality of personal resurrection. If you lost a loved one recently, if you're mourning, Daniel was promised in the last verse of this book what every believer in Christ is promised, a resurrection. It says, at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Christ rose, and as our brother said this morning, sitting there to prepare a place for us. So the main lesson in chapter 12 is clear. God's revealed his plans, anticipate them. Their struggle against evil will end. And God's plans involve resurrection and eternal life with him for everybody that accepts his rule and trusts his promises in this life. There's no question about it. Jesus said, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. They who believe in me, though they may die, as we all will, they shall live. Anticipate that. Paul, no question, 2 Timothy 1.12, if we suffer with Christ, we will reign with him then. Don't doubt what the Bible says. The final word to Daniel, oh, I put it in red again. It's the Lord's word to you. It's a warning. If you personally receive Christ, that's the warning. If you personally receive Christ, this is the promise. Verse 13, go your way to the end. You shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Jesus, he didn't leave it in doubt. I mean, look what Jesus said. He said, for every, for it's the Father's will that everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And listen to this, I myself, I myself will raise them on the last day. We have a guy on TV in Canada, don't know whether you see him over there, peddling some wonderful cream for arthritis. And he says, if it doesn't work, I'll give you money back. And it's so well said, I think it's okay, I could order that. He's going to give me money. Jesus said, I'll do it. Personal. I'll raise them up. That's our blessed hope. And so you respond tonight with confident anticipation. You know what the last words of the Bible are? If you want to know what the Bible says, it says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And I want you, if you're a believer, to say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's why, and I've got to turn this on because this thing turns itself off on me. We're going to sing that hymn that I miss gave out this morning. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. It's 189, but just...